Chapter Four of Colette, A Tale of Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Colette, A Tale of Arabia by Francis Marion Crawford. Chapter Four. Colette pondered deeply, being uncertain what to do, and trying to find out some action which would win for him what he wanted. Zahawa received no answer to her question as to the number of enemies he had slain, and she did not ask again, for she thought that he was weary and wished to rest in silence. What do you like best in the whole world, he asked after a long time, to see what she would say. I like you best, she answered, smiling, while she was still playing with his sword. That is very strange, Colette answered, musing. But the color rose darkly in his cheeks above his beard, for he was pleased now as he had been displeased before. Why is it strange? asked Zahawa. Are you not the palm tree in my hand, and a tower of refuge for my people? And will you dry up the well from which the tree draws life, and take away the cornerstone of the tower's foundation? You speak in fables, said Zahawa, laughing. Yet you imagined the fable yourself, when you likened me to a palm or to a tower. But I am no lover of allegories. My sword is my argument, and my wit is my arm. The wall by the tree is the wall of love and the chief foundation of the tower is the love of Zahawa. If you destroy that, the tree will wither and the tower will fall. Surely there has never been such a man as you, Zahawa answered, half jesting, but half in earnest. You are as one who has bought a white mare, and though she is fleet and good to look at, and obedient to his voice and knee, yet he is discontented because she cannot speak to him, and he would fain have her black instead of white, and if possible would teach her to sing like a Persian nightingale. Is it then not natural in a woman to love a man? Have you heard no tales of love from the storytellers of the harem? I have heard many such tales, but none of them were told of me, Zahawa replied. Will you drink again? Is the drink too sweet, or is it not cool? She had risen from her seat and held the golden cup, bending down to him, so that her face was near his. He laid his hand upon her shoulder. Hear me, Zahawa, he said. I want but one thing in the world, and it was for that I come out of the Red Desert to be your husband. And that thing I will have, though the price be greater than rubies, or than blood, or than life itself. If it is mine, I freely give it to you. If it is not mine, take it by force, or I will help you to take it by stratagem, if I can. Am I not your wife? She spoke thus, supposing from his face that he meant some treasure that could be taken by strength or by wile for she could not believe a man could speak so seriously of a mere thought such as love. Neither my right hand nor my wit can give me this, but only your heart, Zahawa, he answered, still holding her and looking at her. But now she did not laugh, for she saw that he was greatly in earnest. You are still talking of love, she said, and you are not jesting. I do not know what to answer you. Gladly will I say I love you. Is that all? What is it else? Are those the words? I care little for the words, but I will have the reality, though it costs you your life and mine. My life? Will you take my life for the sake of a thought? A thought, he exclaimed. Do you call love a thought? I had not believed a woman could be so cold as that. If not a thought, what then? I have spoken the truth. If it were a treasure or anything that could be taken, you could take it, and I could help you. But if the possibility of possessing it lie not in deeds, it lies in thoughts, and is itself a thought. If you can teach me, I will think what you will. But if you cannot teach me, who shall? And how will it profit you to take my life or your own? 
Is it possible that love is only a thought? asked Coled, speaking rather to himself than to her. It must be, she answered. The body is what it is in the eyes of others, but the soul is what it thinks itself to be, happy or unhappy, loving or not loving. You are too subtle for me, Zahawa, Coled said, yet I know that this is not all true. For he knew that he possessed no soul, and yet he loved her. Moreover, he could think himself happy or unhappy. You are too subtle, he repeated. I will take my sword again, and I will go out and fight, and pursue the enemy and waste their country, for it is not so hard to cut through steel as to touch the heart of a woman who does not love. And it is easier to tear down towers and strongholds of stone with the naked hands than to build the temple upon the moving sand of an empty heart. Khaled would have risen at once, but Zahawa took his hand and entreated him to stay with her. Will you go out in the heat of the day, wounded and wearied? she asked. Surely you will take a fever and die before you have followed the Shamar so far as two days' journey. My wounds are slight, and I am not weary, Colette answered. When the smith has heated the iron in the forge, does he wait until it is cold before striking? But think also of the soldiers, who have striven hard, and cannot thus go out upon a great expedition without preparation as well as rest. I will take those whom I can find, and if they will go with me, it is well. But if not, I will go alone, and they and the rest will follow after. It is summer, too, said Zahawa, keeping him back. Is this the time to go out into the northern desert? Both men and beasts will perish by the way. Has not Allah bound every man's fate about his neck, and can a man cast it from him? I know not otherwise, but if heat and hunger and thirst do not kill the men, they will certainly destroy the beasts, whose names are not recorded by Azrael, and who have no destiny of their own. You hinder me, said Khaled, and yet you do not know how many of the Shemar might be lurking within a day's march of the city, slaying your people, burning their houses, and destroying their harvest. Let me go. Will you love me better if I stay? You will be better able to get the victory. Will you love me better if I stay? If you go now, you may fail in your purpose and perish as well. How could I love you after then? It is the victory you love then, not me. Could I love defeat? Nay, do not be angry with me. Stay here at least until the evening. Think of the burning sun and the raging thirst, and the smarting of your wounds which have only been dressed this first time. Think of the soldiers, too. They can bear what I can bear. Was it not summertime when the prophet went out against the Romans? I do not know. Stay with me, Khaled. I will come back when I have destroyed the Shamars. And if the soldiers will not go with you, will you indeed go out alone? Yes, I will go alone. When they see that, they will follow me. They are not foxes. They are brave men. Colette rose and girt his sword about him. Zahawa helped him, seeing that she could not persuade him to stay. Farewell, he said shortly, and without so much as touching her hand, he turned and went out. She followed him to the door of the room and stood watching as he went away. One of us two was to rule, she said to herself, and it is he, for I cannot move him. But what is this talk of love? Does he need love who is himself the master? She sighed and went back to the carpet on which they had been sitting. Then she called in her women and bid them tell her all they had heard about the fight in the morning. And they, thinking to please her, extolled the deeds of Khaled, and all the tens he had slain they made hundreds, and of the thousands of the enemy's army they made tens of thousands, till the walls of Riyadh could not have contained the hosts of which they spoke, and the dry sand of the desert could not have drunk all the blood which had been shed. Meanwhile, Khaled went into the outer court of the palace, where many soldiers were congregated together in the shade of the high wall, eating camel's meat and blanket bread, 
and drinking the water from the well. They were able-bodied and unhurt, for those who had been wounded were at their houses, tended by their wives. "'Men of Riyadh!' cried Khaled, standing before them. "'We have fought a good fight this morning, and the power of our foes is broken. But all are not yet destroyed, and it may be that there are many thousands still darkening within a day's march of the city, slaying the people, burning their houses, and destroying their harvests. Let us go out and kill them all before they are able to go back to their own country. Afterwards we will pursue those who are already escaping, and we will lay all the tribes of Shamar under tribute and bring back the women captive. Thereupon a division rose among the soldiers. Some went for going at once with Khaled, but others said it was the hot season and no time for war. It is indeed summer, said Khaled, but if the Shamars were able to come to Riyadh in the heat, the men of Riyadh are able to go to them. And I at least will go at once, and those who wish to share the spoil will go with me. But those who are satisfied to sit in the shade and eat camel's meat will stay behind. In an hour's time, I will ride out of the northern gate. So saying, Khaled rode slowly down into the city toward the marketplace. The people were carrying away their own dead, and dragging off the bodies of their enemies, with camels, by fours and fives tied together to bury them in a great ditch without the wall. When Khaled appeared, many of the men gathered round him, with cries of joy, for they had supposed that some of his wounds were dangerous, and that they should not see him for many days. Voila! He is with us again, they shouted, jostling each other to get near, and standing on tiptoe to see the good mare that had carried him so well in the fight. Masala, I am with you, answered Khaled, and if you will go with me, we will send many more shamars to eat thorns and thistle, as many as dwell in Qasim and Tabal Shamar as far as Hael, and by the help of Allah we will take the city of Hael itself, and divide the spoil and bring away the women captive. And when we have taken all there is, we will lay the land under tribute and make it subject to Najed. So let those who will go with me arm themselves, and take every man his horse or his camel, and dates and barley and water skins and in an hour's time we will ride out, for Allah will certainly give us victory. Let us bury the dead today, and tomorrow we will go, said many of those nearest him. Are there no old men and boys in Riyadh to bind the sheaves you have mown? asked Khaled. And are there no women to mourn over the dead of your kindred who have fallen in a good fight? And as for tomorrow, it is yet in Allah's hands, but today we have already with us. However, if you will not go with me, I will go alone. The men were pleased with Khaled's speech, and indeed the greater part of the dead were buried by this time, for all the people had made haste to their work, fearing lest the body should bring a pestilence among them, since it was summertime and very hot. Then all those who were unhurt and could bear arms went and washed themselves, and took their weapons and food, as Khaled had directed them. Before the call to afternoon prayers, the whole host went out of the northern gate. Then Khaled accomplished all that he had spoken of, and much more, for he drove the scattered forces of the enemy before him overtaking all and at last slaying all whom he overtook as far as Zulfa, which is by the narrow end of the foot. Here he rested a short time, and then quickly crossing the sand, he entered the country called Qasim, which is subject to the Shamars. Here he was told by a woman who had been taken that the Shamars were coming with a new army against him out of Hael. He therefore hid his host in a pass of the hills just above the plain, and sent down a few Bedouins to encamp at the foot of the mountains, bidding them call themselves Shamar and make a show of being friendly to the enemy. So when the army of the Shamars reached the foot of the hills, they saw the tents and only one or two camels, and Khaled's Bedouins came out and welcomed them, and told them that Khaled was still crossing the foot, and that if they had passed haste through the hills, they might come upon him unawares, and had an advantage as he began to ascend. Thereupon the enemy rejoiced and entered the pass in haste, after filling their waterskins. When they were in the midst of the hills, Khaled and his army sprang up from the ambush and fell upon them 
and utterly destroyed them, taking all their horses and camels and arms, after which he went down into the plain and laid waste the country about Hael. He took the city, as the Shemars had taken Bria, for he himself got upon the wall at night with the strongest and bravest of his followers, and slew the guards and opened the gate just before dawn. But there was no Khaled in Hael to rally the soldiers and give them heart to turn and make a stand in the streets. Khaled entered the palace and took the Sultan of Shamar alive, not suffering him to be hurt, for he wished to bring him to Riyadh. This Sultan was a man of middle age, having only one eye and also otherwise ill-favored, besides being cowardly and fat. So Khaled ordered that he should be put into the litter, and the litter into the cage, and the cage slung between two camels. But he commanded that the women of the harem should be well treated and brought before him, that he might see them, intending to bring back the most beautiful of them as presents to his father-in-law. Surely, said the men who were with him, you will keep the fairest for yourself. But Khaled turned angrily upon them. Have I not lately married the most beautiful woman in the world, he asked. I tell you it is for her sake that I have destroyed the Shamars, but the Sultan shall have the best of these women, and afterwards the rest of them will be divided amongst you by lot. When the women heard that they would be distributed among the men of Najed, they at first made a pretense of howling and beating their breasts, but they rejoiced secretly and soon began to laugh and talk amongst themselves pointing out to each other the strongest and most richly dressed of Khaled's followers, as though choosing husbands among them. But one of them neither wept nor spoke to her companions, but stood silently watching Khaled, and when he sat down upon a carpet in the chief kawa of the house, she brought him drinking in a goblet set with pearls from Guitar, and sat down at his feet as though she had been his wife. But he took little heed of her at first, for he was busy with grave matters. The other women, seeing what she did, thought she was acting wisely in the hopes of gaining Khaled's favor seeing that he was the chief of their enemies, so they too came near, and brought water for his hands, and perfumes, and sweetmeats, thinking to outdo her. But she pushed them away, taking what they brought for him, and offering it herself. "'Are you better than we?' the women said angrily. "'Has our Lord chosen you for himself, that you will not let us come near him?' Then Cled noticed her, and began to wonder at her attention and zeal. "'What is your name?' he asked, but she did not speak. Who is she? he inquired of the other women. She's an unbeliever, they answered contemptuously. And she is proud, for she trusted her white skin and her blue eyes, and her hair which is red without henna. She thinks she is better than we. Command us to uncover our faces that you may see and judge between us. Let it be so. Let us see who is the fairest, said Khaled, and he left. Then the women who sat at his feet threw aside her veil, and all the others did the same. Khaled saw that the one was certainly more beautiful than the rest, for her skin was as white as milk, and her eyes like the Sea of Oman when it is blue in winter. She had also long hair, plaited in three tresses, which came down to her feet, red as the locusts when the sun shines upon them at evening, and not die. There is a bay mare in the stable of black ones, Khaled said. What is the name of the bay mare? Her name is Aziz, and she is Christian, said one of the women. Not Aziz, Almasta said the beautiful woman in an accent which showed that she could not speak Arabic fluently. Almasta, a Christian. She was lately sent as a present to our master by the emir of Basra, said one of the others. He paid a thousand and five hundred sequins for her, for she was brought from Georgia, said another. But I am a free woman, and myself the daughter of an emir. Then all the others began to scream. It is a lie, they cried. Your father was a white slave from Syria. You are fools, retorted the woman who had spoken. You should have said that you were also free women and the daughters of emirs, so our lord would have treated you with more consideration. The others saw their folly and were silent and drew back, but Khaled only smiled. As good mares are bred in the stable, 
as in the desert, he said, and the women laughed with him at the jest, for they saw that it pleased him. But Almasta was silent and sat at his feet, looking into his face. You must learn to talk Arabic, he said, and then you will be able to tell stories of your native country to the sultan, for he loves tales of travel. Almasta smiled and bent her head a little, but she did not understand all he said, being but lately come into Arabia. I will go with you, she answered. Yes, you will go with me to Riyadh, to the sultan, and perhaps he will make you his wife, for he has none at present. I will go with you, she repeated, looking at him. She does not understand you, said the women, laughing at her ignorance of their own tongue. It is no matter, said Khaled. She will learn in due time. Perhaps it has pleased Allah to send my lord the sultan a wife without a tongue for a blessing in his old age. I will go with you, Almasta said again. She can say nothing else, jeered the women. One of them pulled her by her upper garment, so that she looked round. Can you say this? My father was a dog and the son of dogs, said the woman. But Almasta pushed her angrily away, for she half understood. Then the woman grew angry and shook her fist in Almasta's face. If you fight, you shall eat sticks, said Khaled, and then they were all quiet. Thus he took possession of the city of Hael, and remaining there some time he reduced all the country to submission, so that it remained a part of the kingdom of Najed for many years after that. For the power of the Shamars was broken, and they could nowhere have mustered a thousand men able to bear arms. Khaled set a governor in the place of the sultan, and ordered all the laws of the country in the same manner as those of Najed. And after he had been absent from Riyadh nearly two months, he set aside a part of his force to remain behind and keep the peace in case there should be an outbreak, and with the rest he began to journey homeward, taking a great spoil and many captives with him. During the march most of the women rode on camels but a few of the most beautiful were taken in litters, lest the fatigues of riding should injure their appearance and thus diminish their value. Almasta was one of these, and the Sultan of Hael was taken in a cage, as has been said, though he was not otherwise ill-treated, and received his portion of camel's meat and bread, equal to that of the soldiers. Khaled sent messengers on fleet mares to Riyadh to give warning of his coming, but he could not himself proceed very quickly, because his armies was burdened with so much spoil, and as there was now no haste to overtake an enemy, he journeyed chiefly at night, resting during the day wherever there was water, for although the summer was far advanced, it was still hot. He thought continually of Zahawa, by day in his tent, and by night on the march, for he supposed that she would be glad when she heard of the victory, and that she would now love him, because he had avenged her people and taken Hael, and brought back gold and captives, besides other treasures. She was already pleased with my deeds before we left Riyadh, he thought, for she asked me how many of the Shamars I had slain with my own hand and at last she wished me to stay with her, most probably because I might tell her more about the fight. How much the more will she be glad now, since I have killed so many more, and have brought back treasure, and made a whole country subject to her father? Shall not blood and gold buy the love of a woman? It chanced once during the day that Caleb was sitting at the door of his tent, after the sun had gone down, and before the night march had begun. Upon the one side, at a little distance, was the tent of the women captives, who had been taken from the palace in Hael and upon the other the soldiers had set down the cage in which the Sultan of Shamar was carried. The men had laid a carpet over the cage to keep the sun from the prisoner during the heat of the day, lest he should not reach Riyadh alive, as Khaled desired, for the Sultan was fat and of a choleric temper. Now the soldiers had given him food, but had forgotten to bring him water, and it was hot under the carpet now that the evening had come. But he could lift it up a little on one side, and having done so he began to cry out, cursing Khaled and railing at him, not knowing that he was so near at hand. Of you whose portion shall be to broil everlasting, and to eat thistles and thorns, and to lie bound in red-hot chains as I lie in this cage. 
Have you brought me out into the desert to die of thirst like a lame camel? Surely your entertainment on the day of judgment shall be boiling water and the fruit of alzacrum, and whenever you try to get out of hell, you shall be dragged back again and beaten with iron clubs, and your skin shall dissolve, and the boiling water shall be poured upon your head. In this way the captive cried out, for he was very thirsty. But when Colette saw that no one gave him water, he called in the darkness to the women who sat by their tent. Fetch water and give the man to drink, he said. One of the women rose quickly and filled the jar at the well close by, and took it to the cage. And then the railing and cursing broke out afresh, so that Khaled wondered what had happened. Who has sent this unbelieving woman to torture me with thirst? cried the prisoner. Are you not Aziz, whom I was about to take for my fourth wife on account of your red hair? But your hair shall be a perpetual flame hereafter, burning the bones on your head, and your flesh shall be white with heat, as iron in the forge. If I were still in my kingdom, you should eat many sticks. If Allah delivers me from my enemies, I will cause your skin to be embroiled with gold for a trapping to my horse. The moon rose at this time, being a little past the full, and Khaled looked toward the cage and saw that the woman was standing two paces away from the sultan's outstretched hand. She dabbled in the cool water with her fingers so that a plashing sound was heard, and then drank herself and scattered afterwards a few drops in the face of the thirsty captive. It is good water, she said. It is cold. Khaled knew from her broken speech that it was Almasta, and he understood that she was torturing the prisoner with the sound of the sight of the water and with her words. So he rose from his place and went to the cage. Did I not tell you to give him drink, he asked, standing before the woman. Oh, my lord, be merciful, cried the captive, when he saw that Khaled himself was there. Be merciful and let me drink, for your heart is easily moved to pity, and by an act of charity you shall hereafter sit in the shade of the tree, Sidrat, and drink forever of the wine of paradise. I do not desire wine, said Khaled, but you shall certainly not thirst. Give him the jar, he said to Almasta, but she shook her head. He is bad and ugly, she said, but if he not drink, he will die. Then Khaled put out his hand to take the jar of water, but Almasta threw it violently to the ground, and it broke to pieces. Thereupon the captive began again to rail and curse at Almasta, and to implore Khaled with many blessings. You shall drink, for I will bring water myself, said Khaled. He went back to his tent and took his own jar to the well and filled it carefully. When he turned, he saw that Almasa was running from his tent toward the cage, with a drawn sword in her hand. He then ran also, and being very swift of foot, he overtook her just as she thrust the sultan through the bars. But the sword caught in the folds of the soft carpet, and Khaled took it from her hand, and thrust her down so that she fell upon her knees. Then he gave the prisoner the jar with the water that remained in it, for some had been spilt as he ran. Who has given you the right to kill my captives? he asked of Almasta. Kill me then, she cried. Indeed, if you were not so valuable, I would cut off your head, Colette answered. Why do you wish me to kill you? I hate him, she said, pointing to the captive who was drinking like a thirsty camel. That is no reason why I should kill you. Go back to the tents. But Almasta laid her hand on the sword he held and tried to bring it to her own throat. This is a strange woman, said Colette. Why do you wish to die? You shall go to Riyadh and be the sultan's wife. No, no, she cried, kill me, not him, not him. Of whom do you speak? Him, she answered again, pointing to the prisoner. Is he not the sultan? Khaled laughed aloud, for he saw that she was supposed to have been taken to Riyadh to be made the wife of the sultan of Shamar. Indeed, the other women had told her so, to anger her. Not this man, he said, endeavoring to make her understand. There is another sultan at Riyadh. The sultan of Shamar is one, the sultan of the Jed another. You, she asked, suddenly springing up, with you? 
The moon was bright, and Colette saw her eyes gleam like stars, and her face grew warm. But when she took his hands, her own were cold. No, not I, he answered. I am not the sultan. But her face became gray in the moonlight, and she covered her head with her veil and went slowly back to her tent. This woman loves me, Colette thought, and as I have not talked much with her, it must be because I am strong and have conquered the people among whom she was captive. How much the more, then, will Zahawa love me for the same reason? So he was light of heart, and soon afterwards he commanded everything to be made ready and mounted his bay mare for the night march. End of chapter 4